0: Well, if you have your Bibles, hopefully they're open already to Romans chapter 8. I invite you to do that. I find it interesting, you know, God has always uh, worked and moved in incredible ways. I've I've had uh, unique opportunities to see God do some wild things. He seems to know where we're going to be, when we're going to be. He definitely knows what's going on long before I know. I think I know what's going on, and then God throws a curve. You ever try to hit a curveball from God? (laughs) Wow. This morning we're going to look at five great questions that bring along with them five incredible promises. And there wouldn't be a better Sunday to do it. Not that long ago, we're, we're, we're... actually ready to write a check for a building in wells for a church plan in wells which we're still moving forward on we're just have a bible study going on and we're going to wait a little longer on it we're ready to go everything's all eyes are focused in that direction wells we got we got a plant going there we're planning on bringing a tent down doing some concerts and we got all these crazy ideas you know as as god seems to be moving and then in one afternoon God closed the door, at least for a while, in Wells, and I remember sitting at my desk and going, huh, I was pretty sure that was where we were going. A couple minutes later, somebody walks in with a note, and I look at the note and think, huh, I wonder what that's about. We had a board meeting that night, so I told the board, hey guys, uh, we're going to hold off on Wells for a while, Just we're still doing a Bible study out there, we're just waiting, uh, we'll see what God's going to do, what doors he's going to open. But looks like some of those doors are closed, so we'll just wait for God's timing. And I said, I got a, I got a phone call today from a fella. He's calling about uh, possible opportunity in, uh, in Jerome uh, for someone who might be interested. And so I asked Fritz, what do you think? He didn't hesitate too long. So he took the number and he made the phone call, a couple of meetings, getting together with the board, lots of prayer. God closes one door, God opens another one. So we wait in one direction and almost before you can blink, God's got you running full steam in another direction. And scrambling. He likes to do that. God likes us to scramble. There's this important process in that. When we scramble, you know what it makes you do? You go, help. And the Lord says, good. I need you to make sure you remember. This is my work. <laughs> and I'm the one doing it. Man, God does incredible things. And so as we face that, and we face the changes, and we face things going on in our life, we come to the best part of Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans chapter 8 full a lot of good parts. There is now therefore no condemnation is how it starts, and there is no separation is how it ends. It's hard to go wrong anywhere in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is an exciting, exciting place. And often we come to these verses, and we, we Read all the cool parts, the promises, the exciting things, and we're going to talk about those this morning because we're excited about about all those promises that God gives us as Paul asks these five questions. But I also want us to see Romans 8 31 through 39 is a call to God's people to risk it all for Him. It's not a call for God's people to sit on the sidelines and let someone else do the thing. It's a call for God's people to say, man, if God is for us, who can be against us? What could stop us? See, the Lord God Almighty is calling us to say, get in the game. It's fourth quarter. The clock is ticking down. We only got so many chances left. So many opportunities. In our lives we have no idea. No guarantee we draw breath in 10 minutes. All we have is right now. And God's call. Right now. Is to risk it all. For him. And that's what Fritz and Joni are doing. There are no guarantees. Nobody's. Writing them a blank check saying everything's going to work out and it's all going to come together and there's not going to be no battle and nobody's going to hate you and everybody's going to love you and it's not going to be hard one moment. Nobody's done that. What they heard is God say, I got an opportunity for you. Will you go? But he's not just saying it to Fritz. He's saying it to us all. He wants us all to know. All the things that have come before Romans chapter 8. Because you were condemned, but now you're justified. Because you were condemned, you've been justified. And Christ is living in you, sanctifying you, making you holy. Because you have a future home in glory that is guaranteed. He says. Go. Be what I'm calling you to be. Share what I'm calling you to share. Whenever I go through the scripture and I see sections of scripture where people say, No, Lord, I'm always a little worried about that. Like when Peter thinks he's got it all put together and Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be crucified. Then Peter stopped listening. He didn't hear the part about it. I'm on the third day, I'm going to rise. Peter said, not so, Lord. But those words ought not to go together. We sing a song in worship, don't we, called Yes, Lord? We say Yes, Lord a lot. That's so we could get used to it. It's muscle memory for your brain. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's how we want to respond. Let's take a look in Romans eight thirty one at the five incredible questions that are asked, and how the Lord leads us through them. Verse thirty one: What shall we say to these things? We got to stop. You know that was going to happen. You didn't really think we were going to get all the way to the end of the verse, did you? What shall we say to these things? That phrase, these things, he's talking about all the stuff we've been talking about in Romans chapter 8. All the promises that you've got to remember. We've been talking about, <coughs> excuse me, sanctification, where God makes you holy. So how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Remember Romans chapter 6? He, Jesus is in us calling us out of sin. He tells us about our relationship to the law in chapter 7. Right? He says, how can we who have died to the law, live any longer in it. We, we're, it's not a requirement from the external forces. It's a, it's a want to from internally, from the Lord living inside of us, telling us, man, I want to walk. I want to be who Christ is calling me to be. But then we come to the end of Romans chapter 7 and we come to the reality. Okay, I got Christ in me. I'm supposed to step out of sin and I'm supposed to not worry about the law and these internal changes in me will make me holy and then I have the reality. The things I know I ought to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing those things. And that's what brings us into 8. Because Romans chapter 8 is all about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in you that makes you able to step out of that sin. That makes you able not to cling to the law and legalism anymore. makes us able to be all the things God's asking us to be. The power of the Holy Spirit in us. The moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us. But there is an empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we need to seek. Sometimes we live a life in Christianity without power. We're struggling. We're stuck in Romans chapter 7. We're stuck in 7 and and the power to change isn't there. And we're saying over and over again, Who will save me from the body of this death? And we never step over to the next chapter. Which tells us it's the Spirit that gives me life. It's the Spirit that empowers me to overcome. Now I don't care what you call it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Don't trip over definitions. Just get the idea. If you don't got it, you're struggling and you're not moving forward. And you're not experiencing the freedom that Christ intended you to have. That's our reliance on the Holy Spirit. And so he says, so what shall we say to all these things? At the end of chapter 8, he's told us about all this stuff that the Holy Spirit does for us. That the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn us. That the Holy Spirit gives us life from the inside. That the Holy Spirit is constantly praying for us, fixing our prayers so that our prayers might honor the will of God as we pray them. That the Holy Spirit is, is telling us and promising us that when we love Christ and are the called according to His purpose, everything that happens in our life is going to work out for our good and His glory. The Holy Spirit is telling us you're chosen. You're elect. God picked you and if God picked you, He's got a purpose and a plan for your life that He wants to accomplish in your life. So what shall we say to these things? That's the point. The Holy Spirit in vibrancy, working in the life of a believer, surrendered to the will of God. Fritz hit the nail on the head. God's going to call us in our lives over and over and over again to turn our eyes from the things we love in this world to Jesus Christ. And we'll make decisions over and over again in this world. What is our primary love? Is it my comfort? Is it my peace? Is it my prosperity? Is it my stuff? Is it my Savior? And He will call you all. He will whisper in your ear, go and tell. And you'll have that opportunity empowered by the Holy Spirit to say, yes, Lord, I'll go. And it might cost you everything. All your comfort and ease. It might cost it all. Well, that's okay. Because the question is, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried. The Lord is going to work and move and accomplish incredible things in us. So he asked the question. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, oftentimes you'll hear me say things like... uh Um, And maybe they're boring, so I shouldn't. But but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, Oftentimes you'll hear me say that word if is if in the first class condition. And that word if in the first class condition means since. It means the person who's speaking that word if is saying this is absolutely true. So it's like the English word since. There are four class conditions and it all comes off of the mood in the Greek. And I'll bore you to death if you want to know what all the four conditions are. But, but you can look them up. It's pretty easy. I'll give you the information. The point is, he says, since God is for you. Not maybe God is and maybe God's not. He says, since God is for you, what can stop you? Who can be against you? Now, here's the, here's the crazy thing. That's the promise. Who can be against you? Who can be against you? It all goes down to verse, uh, what, about 37, which we're going to come to in a minute. But listen, let me make this clear. Uh, I'm going to answer the question for you. The way that this question is spoke, the answer that the writer is looking for is is nothing. No one can be against you. Now, let me tell you the reality. Everybody's going to be against you. But you watch the news? You go to certain places, they're going to lop off your head just because you say I'm a believer. There are countries you can't get into if you say you're going to that country to to be a missionary. They won't let you in. A lot of people will be against you. We're going to read in a moment. We're counted as sheep to the slaughter. That's not random. That means that's how we should expect life to be. It cracks me up how many people... Get, get crazy ideas in your head. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna settle all crazy ideas for everybody in this room right now. No crazy ideas. You ready? I believe in a pre-trib rapture. One. Part two. I believe God calls us all to suffer. Will you please be okay with that? Stop saying if a a pre-trib rapture means you're never gonna suffer. Where and who wrote that? Jesus said through Paul, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will do what? suffer persecution did jesus ever say you know you're not ever going to suffer are you reading the same bible i'm reading he says there's going to be suffering there's going to be suffering cracks me up Uh, but anyway that's a side note so let's not worry about that i don't want to chase that too far down the road i just want to say who can be against us a lot of people can be against us but the point is we are more than conquerors they don't win A lot of people can be against us, but they won't win. That's the point that Paul's making. Look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27, 1 through 3. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear the war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Doesn't say anywhere in that, that there's not going to be hard times, difficulties. That one day you might have to make a choice that means that the guy standing with the machete in front of you is going to kill your children. God doesn't promise that none of those things are going to happen. He says, in all of that stuff, you are more than conquerors. It won't defeat you. If you are born again, spirit filled and empowered believer. I don't care what your eschatology is. Standing in front of the guillotine. You will lay your head across it and say, Jesus, I'm going to be there in just a second. And in just a second, you'll be there. Because we are more than conquerors. So. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against this? It demands, it declares that we, that we would shout from the rooftops, Man, God is with me. It is the promise of the protection of God. Now please don't misunderstand that. Because I don't know where we got the idea that the protection of God equals comfort. Or that the protection of God... Pastor Saeed, in the darkest prison in Iraq... Being tortured and beaten every day is under God's protection. You okay with that? He's under God's protection. God does not let one thing touch him that God didn't ordain would touch him. Nothing touches him that God doesn't let through his hands. And the worst thing that will happen to Pastor Saeed that the evil men can do to him is take his life. And that puts him right in front of Jesus. He's more than conquerors. They can't shut him up. They can beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him till he can't hardly open his mouth to speak. And if God brings someone, everybody worried about ISIS people hunting down Pastor Saeed. If, if Pastor Saeed is there and one of the ISIS guys comes to him, they're going to hear about Jesus Christ. How do you think they're going to hear about it in any other way? You think we're going to do a big tent revival down in the middle of Iraq and invite ISIS? hey guys, come here, we've got some Christian bands and we're going to sing and tell you about Jesus. That's probably not going to work, right? But if God through Pastor Saeed puts the gospel into that guy's heart and, and, and one life is changed, and that, does, is that going to affect ISIS? It's not, our bombs aren't going to affect it. People hate. Hate is not going to get blown up and driven away. That, never, that doesn't happen. Hate's been here since the devil devil's been here a long time. It ain't going anywhere until God puts hate out of the world. Until then, we got a job to do. Go into all the world, make disciples of all men. And that means we go to ugly places with bad things. But if God is for us, who can be against us? That is what he's declaring. That's the promise that he's laying out for us. The protection of God, his hand is with us. The second question, look at verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? The premise before the promise. The premise is, He who delivered up His own Son, that word own in the Greek means His own special treasure. It was, He was the most valuable treasure Thing That God had and He gave Him freely for us. That's the premise of the promise that says, So then how shall He not with Him also freely give you all things? What's all mean? Does it mean most, a few? God is saying, listen, I am giving you everything you need. I am giving you everything you need. Everything you... He didn't say, I'm giving you everything you want. Did he? But what's he saying? The first question he's saying, I am protecting you. Not that I'm going to spare you from any suffering, but I'm protecting you. I am for you. I have chosen you. You are my special treasure. And I am with you from now till you see me face to face. I will uphold you. With my right hand. That's what God declared to the nation of Israel. So I am for you. Then he says, I'm going to give you whatever you need. Everything Fritz and Joni are going to need in Jerome is going to be provided by the Holy Spirit. Because God is for him. Everything they need. Sometimes what we need, and surely not Fritz. But sometimes what we need is a whooping." And so, sometimes a whooping is what we get. But He will not, listen, He will not withhold from you any good thing. Psalm 8411, For the Lord God is sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing Will he withhold from those who walk uprightly? Will you keep praying? He will not withhold any good thing. God is for us. He protects us. He won't hold anything back. He will give you everything you need. If you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need every spiritual gift right now, this moment, I'm about to go talk to somebody and I need every spiritual gift. You have it. Everything you need. You have it. Now go. He will not withhold any good thing. If He doesn't give you something, it's because it wasn't good. Earnestly desire the best gifts. What's the best gifts? Everybody's got an opinion about what the best gift is. Let me tell you what the best gift is. The one you need. If you're sick and dying and the best gift for you would be someone to come along with a gift of healing, the Lord is not going to send someone with a gift of tongues to pray in tongues over you. The best gift was what? Healing. But maybe the best gift is encouragement. And what you need is not a healing. What you need from the Lord is encouragement. Then the Lord's going to send you somebody who's going to encourage you. And that very well might be done through the gift of tongues or the word of knowledge or prophecy. The best gifts he gives because God is for us, he's not against us. He wants to accomplish great and awesome and incredible things in our life. So we have God's provision. God's protection in the first question. God's provision in the second. In the third, we have God's pardon. Look at it. Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Let me answer that question for you. A lot of people. The question demands a negative answer. The negative answer means none of the charges will stick. But they'll bring charges. What's the devil do every day? This The word Satan means he is the accuser. He accuses the brethren when? Every once in a while? The Bible says night and day. All the time. He's accusing, accusing, accusing. There are people accusing all the time. The subject in the sentence is... Charge. Who will charge? There are no charges that are going to stick. Why? He tells us in the next phrase, right? He tells us in the next phrase, we had the premise. The premise before the promise, what's he telling us? Who can charge God's elect? Prayerfully, it won't be us. The promise, it is God who justifies. Justification isn't the point. The point is, it is God who justifies. Who can bring a charge? What does justify mean? Everybody remembers, right? That God looks down over us, we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and there is no fault that God can see. So since God justified us, who can bring an accusation to God that's going to stick on His people? Nobody. That's why the third question brings down the third promise. God has pardoned us it doesn't mean we're not guilty we're all guilty he pardoned us he justified us he covers us with the blood of his son Jesus Christ he makes us right before him the answer to the third question it is God who justifies so a lot of people are going to complain a lot of people are going to find fault a lot of people will make charges may it not be us The Great Commission does not say, go into all the world and find fault with your brother or find fault with your sister. Go into all the world and be the heretic hunter. It says, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. Making disciples is the call. Does that mean we don't confront wrong? Bad theology? No, that's not what he's saying. But I'm not charging... Who am I to charge? God justifies. He knows who are his own. He knows who are his own. I don't want to be the one running around throwing charges. Throwing charges, throwing charges. Not me. On me. If a brother is sideways, I'm going to try to come alongside and get him straight. But he's not going to hear a charge out of my lips. I'm going to come alongside and be a help, not a hindrance. The devil is the accuser. Who do you want to follow? The devil's the accuser. Jesus Christ is our advocate. You're going to be one of those two things. Which is it going to be? The accuser, you know who your father is. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees, right? Or the advocate. Now the advocate, your advocate, trust me, Jesus will tell you, hey brother, let's get this straight. But he's not bringing charges. He's bringing correction. You guys get what I'm saying? Correction is not charges. We're not to be charging. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? A lot of people, a lot of people are going to try, but none of it will stick. You cannot stick the charge to God's elect isaiah 54 verse 17 tells us this no weapon formed against you will prosper every tongue which rises against you in judgment you will condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the lord and their righteousness is from me says god almighty he said everybody who condemns you you're going to judge Your righteousness is from me. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody going to bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Then we have our fourth question leading to the last. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? So who can bring a charge that sticks? Nobody. Why? Because God is for us. What about the things I need in in ministry? What about the things I need if I'm, I'm hungry or thirsty or cold or naked or destitute? The Bible says God will withhold from you no good thing. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you pardon. You've been justified. So who is he who condemns? The question demands answer. Nobody. Well, a lot of people are going to condemn you. Especially if you go to some places where they don't allow people to come and share Christ. There'll be condemnation. But that condemnation don't stick. How come? God is for us. God is for us. So who can be against us? Who is he who condemns? Look how the focus changes. Who is he who can condemn? Listen, it is Christ who died. It is Christ who is risen. It is Christ who is at the right hand of God. And it is Christ who always makes intercession for us. Who is he who condemns? What's the promise? That Christ died for you. That Christ rose for you. That Christ is at the right hand of the Father for you. And that He is always living to make intercession for you. Nothing gets past Christ's hands. Nothing sticks to God's people because it is Christ who died. You weren't forgiven for any of your sins by your merit. It is the blood of Jesus Christ is Sufficient for all the sins of all the world. When Jesus Christ died, I don't care what nobody else says, the Bible says, when Jesus Christ died, His blood was sufficient for every sin ever sinned on earth in the past, present, and on into the future. His blood paid it all. His blood is only efficacious, which is a fancy word that means effective in the lives of those who are born again. That's why he has given a ransom for many. It was sufficient for all, but it's only efficacious to him who receives Christ as our Lord and Savior. To Him He gave the power to be called the children of God, to everyone who believed in His name. Who is He who condemns? Man. What's He telling us in the fourth question? The promise is the promise of the power of God. The, the greatest example of the power of God on the page of the Scripture is the death, burial, resurrection, and ongoing uh, uh, ministry of Jesus Christ. The greatest outpouring of the power of God. That He died, that he, that, he, that he was crucified from the foundation of the world for all the world's sin. He accomplished all that stuff. That He was risen from the dead. That He sits at the right hand of the Father, Psalm 110. Sit here until I make your enemies a footstool. That's what the Father, Lord, said to my Lord. That's what David said. The Lord, God Almighty, said to my Lord, the Messiah... Sit here, my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. The power of God evidenced in the ministry of Christ. So the promise is, who can condemn you? Nobody. Why? Because God is for you. He has given you the power of God in your life. Then the Bible tells, us, don't you realize that he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you? He who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then you have... What you need. You have what you need. The power of God evidenced. But what else does it tell us? Look at the last phrase. And he ever lives to do what? Make intercession. The power of God in the prayer. You have the Holy Spirit, who by the way is God, praying to God for you. According to Romans chapter 8. With groanings that cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. Then you have Jesus Christ. Who by the way is God the Son according to the declaration of scripture in John chapter 1. And many other places. So you have God the Son praying to God the Father for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? The Holy Spirit is praying for you and Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the evidence of the power of God, is praying for you. Man. You can't fail. That doesn't mean you won't struggle. That doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean crazy people won't come after you with with swords. It just means you're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You are... More than conquerors because God is for you. We have His prayer for us. Look at Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to do what? Make intercession for you. How is it that God saves us from the guttermost to the uttermost? Because He prays for us. Because He's praying for us. For us. He always lives. How long does Jesus live? Forever. So that means he's always praying? Does it how many how many days off does he get a week? Does he ever stop? No, so he's always praying. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can stop what God is doing? Nothing. Nothing can stop it. The prayer of God is is a promise that we have from God. Then we go to verse thirty five. So, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I want you to listen to this. This is why I say it's a call to risk. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? To me, that is a call to risk. He says, what can separate you? And then he goes through a list of things. And every one of them is a measure of suffering. You know why he does this? Because the book that we struggle through understanding in the greatest degree often is the book of Job. And we look at the life of Job and we say, oh, I don't understand what's going on here. And so God says to us, look, what can separate us From the love of God. Can any of these things separate us? Can any of these things take away or remove or strip us from the love of God? All the things that Job suffered, did it ever remove him from the reality that God loved him? Never. What about the things you suffered? Does it remove you from the reality that God loves you? What about the struggles that you have? Does it remove you from the things that... that The reality that God loves you. No. The answer demands nothing can separate us from a love of Christ who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As it is written, listen, for your sake we are killed all day long. Does that not sound like a call to risk? It not say, for your sake, all day we sit around in comfort, in air-conditioned homes. We have everything we could possibly want, entertainment, 24 hours a day at our fingertips. We just push a button. We can change the channel. We can watch something. We can pick whatever we want to watch. We can do anything we want. We go be who we want. We can ex- enjoy all this freedom. Is it a call to just continue to stay, to stand in the status quo and say, I'm comfortable in the eagle's nest. Or is it a call for something more? Is it a call to go? And please, don't start panicking. Jackie's going to make us all go to Africa or Peru or <laughs> Brazil. We're going to fly in there with a plane and they're going to kill us. And uh, Jackie's pushing to kill us all in a mission field. No, what Jackie's trying to tell you is if God is for you, then nothing can be against you. And before you go to the mission field, just do this. Cross the street. Tell your neighbor. Show the world Jesus is your treasure. Live your life focused on Him. And not focused on ourselves. And whatever comes, comes. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? We are killed all day long. We are accounted like sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who did what? Loved us. Ah. So how is it that we can be more than conquerors? Conqueror would just be someone who overcomes the the, the, the struggle, overcomes the disease, overcomes the, the, the suffering, overcomes the persecution. That would just be a conqueror. He would say, you are conquerors. He said, you're more than conquerors. There's two reasons. I think Scripture indicates that He tells us that we are more than conquerors. Two things that he lays out for us. The first one is because in all of those things, the peril, the nakedness, the sword, and all the stuff that he described, you grow, though the point of all of that is to destroy you, it makes you stronger. What did Jesus say to Paul? Think about it with me. First Corinthians chapter 12, is that right? He said, three times I pray that this thing would be removed from me. And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast in my infirmities. I will boast in my weaknesses, because when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because God is for me. So I'm more than conquerors. Because it will make me stronger. The church always grows in persecution. Don't be afraid A persecution to the church. The church thrives. The blood of the martyrs is a seed of the church. The church thrives in that. It thrives and grows. That's the first reason, I think, that we're more than conquerors. The second reason, every single trial, suffering, pain works to bring you the most joy and happiness you will ever experience in your whole life. What do you mean? You know, last week, uh, the, I got handed a note, right? Marlene's mom was on her way to the hospital. They were worried about her. You guys remember, I read it wrong and everybody panicked for a minute. So, Marlene's mom went home to be with her Lord and Savior. So whatever took Marlene's mom, whatever disease or pain or suffering or, 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 or medical condition, whatever happened that did that, she's more than a conqueror because it didn't just kill her. It, it brought her exalting before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. She closed her eyes looking at all the stuff we have around here and she opened her eyes in glory. She saw Jesus Christ with his arms outstretched to her saying, "Come home." And I'm going to tell you I'm really going to mess with your noodle because I told you before, God does not live in time. He lives in eternity. And in eternity, all time is a present. There's no past, there's no eternity past. Eternity does not fit on a timeline. If you don't understand that, we'll talk about it. But eternity is not a timeline. It just goes forever. Eternity is a circle. All times exist at the same time. What do you mean, Jackie? Well, let me let me just mess with your noodle a little more. When she got to heaven, everyone who's ever going to be there was already there. Does that mess with your noodle, won't it? Now you say, I don't know, Jackie. That's kind of crazy. Okay, that's all right. I'm sure... It'll get all straight when you get there. (laughs) You don't have to understand that part now. But what I'm saying is everything, every sword, every every little child that Isis ever took the head of, every parent or person who was ever abused and destroyed and killed and suffered every everything a a tidal wave ever took into eternity, everything an earthquake ever destroyed, anything that ever happened for the believer for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose it worked for your greatest joy because there was a moment of, of fear and panic and whatever occurs and then eternity with Christ where there is no tears and no sorrow No lack. Where the sun never gives you a sunburn. The Bible says it. Read it. It's in Revelation. Because there is no sun. The Lord is the sun and the moon and the stars and the light. So you are more than conquerors because anything that happens to you, anything, cancer, anything, any kind of suffering, any horrible thing that ever happened in your path, and you say, what good is this? It all works to bring about the fullness of your joy and happiness when you see Christ. All of it because you are more than conquerors. A conqueror just puts his foot on the neck and says, I overcame that thing in my life. I overcame that molestation that occurred to me. I overcame the things that happened in my life. That's just a conqueror. More than a conqueror. That thing, that thing that my foot is on, God used it to serve His glory. Now I'm more than a conqueror. Every hurt, every horrible thing, He used it all. You get a chance today, read Hebrews eleven thirty-two 32-38. It's an incredible section of Scripture that talks about the men and women of faith who went before us. Some who were delivered and some who were not delivered. But all members of the hall of faith that found their fullness of joy in Christ Jesus. Let's look at the last two verses. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Best part, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He concludes Romans chapter 8 with this thing. So I am persuaded. I am confident of who I am in Christ. Man, Don't you see, that's what made Paul unstoppable. They stoned him one time, and he he woke up after being stoned uh, with stones. He woke up, and he walked back into the town. Some people were looking at me a little crazy. That's why I threw that out there. He come walking into town, and he preached again. And he won a convert in that town. That convert's name is Timothy. We heard him before, right? Timothy, Paul is saying, "I'm secure in my relationship to God, because there is no condemnation and there is no separation, nothing can stop us because God is for us." Amen? Amen, Amen. stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. Even though in our reality things are changing, even though around here, God, you're moving and shaking, and it's and it and it's scary when you when you take someone from our midst to to put them someplace else. But we know that you're for us, and you know what you're doing. You have called our brother and sister to go bear fruit on the other side of the canyon. Some of us, you're calling to go to the other side of the world. Some of us, you are calling to go just to the other side of the street. But for all of us, you are saying, I'm calling, will you go? The promises that we look at today are so incredible and they're so filled with hope and excitement. But every one of those promises is only given to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's defined for us in 28. It is only given to those who are born again, to those for whom those who love Christ Jesus, not this world. For I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of service or worship. We give ourselves away to the called, all those who have received what Jesus Christ has given. Oh, Lord Jesus promises are awesome the call is incredible and the plan is perfect and we know god that you are doing things abundantly above and beyond all we can ask or imagine we just pray in this place there's bound to be some people whose primary love of their life is this world whose primary love of their life is their comfort god i pray that they would come to know you that they would know you as the greatest treasure that they would know you as their primary love that they would receive you as their lord and savior and that you would do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine through them by the power that works in us which is your holy spirit for you are able you are able and because you are able we are able Nothing can stand against us. Because you are for us. So Lord, may we lay hold of you with all our strength. All that is within us. May we lift you up. So that you will draw all men to yourself. And whatever comes, no matter what it is. (coughs) May we hold to the truth that we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. You accomplish incredible, great, awesome things in and through us. And we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name. Amen.